Welcome to episode three of the Smalls Talk podcast. Nothing small about this podcast aside from the name. Today we're joined by Chris Hayes, head strength and conditioning coach for Drexel men's and women's basketball. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The views, information, or opinions expressed today are solely the views of the individuals involved, including today's guests, and does not represent absolute facts and should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. Such views are the views of individuals and do not represent the official opinion of the International OCD Foundation. Chris Hayes, welcome to Smalls Talk. Tom, what's up, man? Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about um, anything you do for preventing overtraining, preventing burnout, um, for athlete monitoring. I know we've talked, you know, on the phone before about this kind of stuff, and mm -hmm. I know um, you incorporate some wellness questionnaires, and and you have those type of questions, uh, conversations in general with with mm -hmm. athletes because I know you care about you know, their overall well-being. Um, I'm interested to see kind of your processes and our listeners to, to hear your process as a, as a coach. Yeah, man. So my the, the area I'm focusing on with that stuff right now, and uh, it's on my OKRs, objectives and key results, basically goal setting, one, for, for lack of better terms. Um, my professional ones are at work. I have my personal ones right here also. I just put it to the screen. But in one of my quadrants, I have that. I have stuff about that. And my biggest focus right now is trying to build, and this is more so on the men's side, and I can speak to, to why, but trying to build a culture of autonomy and ownership and uh, you know, buy-in, of course, where um, we ask so many things of these student athletes. And, I, and I've talked to our guys and girls about this, especially the guys, because I feel that the pressure that's, that's – um, put on them it, it is maybe felt a little bit more or a little differently on the men's side. Um, but we've talked about, it. I'm like, look, man, we ask you to do these surveys. We ask you to drink these shakes that we make for you. We ask you to show up to these meetings at, at last minute or after a three hour practice. Like we ask a lot of them and Hey, Oh, by the way, they're on a full academic schedule. Um, and, and so I say all that to say, you know, in the past, I've never been in a, a believer of, you know, punishment or consequences you know, running or, or making someone throw up or puke or, or whatever, because they don't do something sometimes um, in order to get a point across or, or if intrinsic, you know, conversations are not working, maybe that's necessary. But what I'm trying to get away from is, the, oh, man, you didn't do your survey. Uh, you got pushups or you got burst climber. It's no, hey, this is why the survey is important. Um, it's for me, sure. But it's really for you guys to self-reflect on, oh, man, I didn't sleep yesterday or I barely ate yesterday or, or whatever to help you um, take ownership of your process as an athlete and, and sorry, more importantly as a student athlete, right on both sides of that. Um, so that's the biggest focus for me right now is building the buy-in with that stuff and the intrinsic organic ownership of that stuff um, as right. opposed to just, Hey, do this, do that, do this, do that, because I'm trying to build this high performance model and that's all that matters. Like, yeah, I want to build a, a legit model at Drexel basketball, but I want to do it with, with their ownership and their buy-in. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, but yeah, man, to, to speak to it from the, the tactical side, I guess, um, every morning before training, you know, they'll do this, their wellness surveys. I'll check that, um, try to find if there's a trend or someone's in the red, um, who's usually not, or, or, or it's a little different for, from normal, you know, have a conversation, right. Create a quick conversation, let the staff know if that's important. Um, we just got polar team pro a few weeks ago about, five or six weeks ago. Um, so we're working on onboarding that, collecting our baseline data and beginning to implement that. Um, we <laughs> hopefully have a force plate on the way. That's been literally like a three to four month process since I got here to get a force plate here. <laughs> God bless Drake uh, with Hawking Dynamics. Shout, shout out to them uh, for working working with us through this process. So hopefully that's coming. So we have some things that we're you know going to collect data 
um, and, and look to trend from a performance standpoint, but also just a holistic wellness standpoint. Um, so those are some of the things we're doing within not just Drexel basketball, but our, our greater sports performance team. That's awesome, man. That's great to hear. Um, I like the I like the uh, autonomy piece, especially and for, to help them realize that oh shit, I didn't sleep tonight, or you know that kind of stuff is so important. The way you're doing it is almost like like if you ever seen Karate Kid, like Miyagiing them, like you're literally like like you're you're making you're making them make better choices on their own right like building life life habits that are so important that are going to be important past basketball because let's be honest like the ball stops bouncing eventually and so it's so crucial to see you know those habits continue to develop especially in their college years yeah man it's it's important and i think as i think that's an area of growth for me as a coach is like the younger, you know, in my earlier years, it was, man, what periodization scheme can we do? What book did I just read that I'm going to implement this stuff from or this exercise or this whatever from? And that's still the case. I got um, the quadrant system right here on my desk. Yep. I, got, I got a book about fashion training. I still, I'm still trying to do that stuff. But I've, I think as I've grown as a coach, especially in this new role and this new platform at Drexel, I'm thinking more or trying to think a little bit more about them as a person first, um, athlete second and you know have a conversation before um you know a consequence comes into play or, or whatever the case may be um no i yeah, love i, I, I love what important. you just said man. uh the what really stuck out to me there is that the person first athlete second i feel like in college athletics and it's not all college athletics i you know but there is a a large percentage that really doesn't treat them that way and you know these athletes make money for their universities now obviously with the nil it's there's there's opportunities but mm -hmm. that's only for the really really high level athletes that are getting those major deals and so how do how do we incorporate and and build a culture of putting them as humans first well um i, I think what we've done recently is, is trending or working towards that direction. And um, this is something I'd ne never done before or had ideas of doing at Coppin, but it never really came to fruition in a, in a formal sense. Um, and I got the idea from Kendrick, who's the men's basketball strength coach at uh, Army West Point. So uh, I got to go there for a day with Coach Spiker. Coach Spiker was at Army, the head coach at Army before Drexel. Mm -hmm. And um, Kendrick told me about how they were doing weekly education sessions um, and, and not about training, like maybe about recovery or nutrition, but about anything from uh, faith and spirituality to finances to whatever. It's like, you know, becoming a college wow. co college adult, you know, a young adult 101 or how to succeed right. in life, right? So I was like, man, that's awesome. And I talked to Coach Spiker about it on the drive back. I was like, hey, man, he's doing this thing. I think that'd be awesome. He's like, yeah, man, run with it. So anyway, we set up a, a series of four education sessions um, with the team, two groups, all but one. We're in, we're in two groups, so a little more intimate than the whole team. And basically the goal setting chart and quadrant that I've been doing over the, the past number of years that I got from Tina at Louisville, um, she had the whole staff do it. Um, I adapted that for the student athlete um, and, and played with this at Coppin a little bit, but not in this type of formal sense with, with any of the teams. And so we did a four part education or, or kind of uh, goal setting series um, in, earlier in our preseason about how to put this thing together, how to reverse engineer it from your, your vision or your dream, right? Your lifetime goal to your goal for this year, your goal for this quarter, and now these four different quadrants, mm -hmm. academic, um, basketball, physical, and lifestyle. So anyway, um, that was a four-part series we did. And and I was, man, I'm as proud as, as that as I am of any program I've ever written, any PR I've ever had, you know, seen an athlete set. That's terrific. Um, because I feel like that's something that um, they're not going to figure it out this first time doing it. I've been doing no. it for years, and I'm still figuring it out myself. <laughs> yeah. But if that's something that they take away from not just, you know, their experience with me this year, but uh, through Drexel, through their time at Drexel and beyond Drexel, uh, you know, that will have as much impact as any squat, deadlift, bench PR, you know, mile, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's huge. I mean, it's 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 so huge. Um, how do you think COVID kind of affected athletes? Um, obviously, shutdowns time away from people, isolation. I mean, I know from, from my own mental health, um, I definitely relapsed quite a bit and had to go to, I had to be in treatment a little bit more often mm -hmm. and, and definitely had to buckle down on some things. 
Um, I'm, and I know a lot of athletes suffered from it too. I mean, yeah. your, your season is canceled, you know, now it messes up the whole recruit recruiting system. Um, try to, I mean, it, the, the list goes on and on. So re COVID really put a dent in a lot of different things. So I'm interested to see, you know, how you kind of kept in touch with athletes and kind of corralled them. And then, how, you know, after COVID, how you, how you guys kind of pushed through that. Yeah, man, I think in, in five to 10 years, maybe more, we're going to look back and, and begin to see trends. I think we're maybe seeing some already, but begin to see more tangible trends in different areas and be like, wow, COVID caused this. Um, whether it be, you know, things related to mental health, anxiety, depression, et cetera. Um, but I, I think it can't be un, unrecognized or unspoken that these kids, and I, I use the word kids, you know, loosely and, and endearing, but these kids went two years, basically, you know, a year plus, really two years, all, all said and done with minimal social interaction. And right. of, of course, during the shutdown, like literally sitting at home doing nothing except sitting on their phones, which they already probably did too much already, you know, yeah. and scrolling through social media and all the challenges that that, that can potentially create um, mentally and emotionally. So, um, yeah, I think there was there's just a dent in their development that we we don't fully grasp or, or recognize or realize but i think being aware of that you know whether whether it was a a college junior who who missed their first year of college or, or it wasn't the same experience as a freshman um or a college senior who didn't get to you know live out their senior year and, and play in an ncaa tournament or whatever the case may be um, i think there's a lot of ramifications for them that we still have to appreciate and recognize um i, I do think mental health of course has um, still has a long way to go in terms of recognition and our understanding, but I do think that's something that that um, has improved upon, you know, our awareness of that over the last few years. And I think a big part of that is due to COVID and, and some of the ramifications of it. So, yeah, man, I don't I don't have a more tangible finger to, to put on it, but I, I do think that's something that we still need to be aware of and, and um, you know, try to address in our conversations with them when we can. Yeah, no doubt. No, I mean, I think, I mean, I was talking about it on a, uh, we had a, a webinar today with the IOCDF that was, um, it was terrific. It was with a former tennis player, um, professional tennis player, Kevin Anderson. He was number five in the world at one point. And we were just talking about, um, you know, the stigma of, of mental health in general in athletics. Um, it's just very taboo. Uh, mm -hmm. it's very taboo and it hasn't gotten better for sure. But, uh, you know, I'd see a lot of awareness. I don't see a lot of solutions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you know, a lot of times coaches aren't equipped with the tools to talk about, about those subjects. Um, you know, in my, in my case, I, I've definitely been equipped because I have that, that experience and I, but, um, it's so important for the coach to remain a coach and the clinician to be a clinician. Um, the coach shouldn't try to turn into a clinician. And, and that's what end, ends up happening when they think they need to be equipped to, to treat an athlete, but really it's refer an athlete and, and be there to emotionally support them through that tough time. Yeah. And I think the, the thought that just came to mind with that man, as you, as you talked about that, like in the same way that, um, a coach, hopefully, ideally, especially not at the D1 level, but at any level, a sport coach wouldn't diagnose and treat an injury and say, oh, well, your right. knee hurts. Ah, oh, man, that stinks. But uh, yeah, just practice anyway. Well, it's the same thing or same concept with mental health, right? Like, it's not like we're not just talking about emotions and having a bad day. We're talking about serious, you know, diagnosable, biological, uh, diagnosable, excuse me, biological you know, challenges and, and diseases in some case. Right. So in the same way that we wouldn't want a strength coach or an athletic trainer to diagnose that or a sport coach to diagnose an injury. Um, I think the next step of college athletics and just athletics in general, scholastic, whatever, um, is just like it's becoming more common for a basketball only strength coach or right. for every team to have a strength coach. Every team has an athletic trainer, the mental performance piece, um, whether that be for the more health end of the spectrum. Right. Which probably comes first. And then obviously the performance end of the spectrum as well. Not that they're separate things. Um, I think that's, it's probably 10 years plus until that's more mainstream across the board. But I think that's the next step that we need to go in is making sure maybe not every team has their own, you know, that's professional level stuff, right. but every department has at least one or two legitimately certified credentialed 
um, individuals to to be part of of the conversation and holistic 100%. performance. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, I know. I'm I'm just thinking about like, you know, there's so many schools too that are just, especially in the college level, that are just so underfunded. Um, you know, that's and you know, so I don't blame those schools for not having those, but like, we need to find the funds. We need to 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 raise that. Um, you know, the ability to have that kind of role in, in, in some capacity because it's so, it's so important. Even if it's, I mean, like even some of the smaller schools I worked at, like they did um, like just the counseling center would come into the athletic department and like, and meet with that, like, and, and do workshops and then like would present themselves and, and get to know the athletes. So like, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that, you know, maybe, maybe the, the school or the organization, whatever it is, doesn't have the, the capacity to, to hire an individual for each department or whatever, but even just making sure the athletes know where the, the counseling center is on campus and, and where those reset resources are in place um, for them to seek out, I think is so vital too. Yeah. And, and I think just, just keeping, keeping an open conversation about it, like just like we watch film, just like we talk training, we talk nutrition, recovery, education, et cetera. Um, trying to, until we have that certified professional individual, individual available and, and part of a team, um, at least having conversations about it, you know, and bringing it to light and, and, and maybe as, as the coaches and as the, as the leaders making ourselves vulnerable, talking about our experiences, our struggles, um, and, and maybe that helps set the platform to them for them to feel a little more comfortable about it. Cause there still is a, a, a stigma, you know, as you alluded no to, and, and I think it's, improving with with people you know I just as, as a basketball person people that come to mind like Kevin Love DeMar DeRozan the pieces sure. that, that they've written and, and spoken out about among many other athletes speaking out about it um, and so I think obviously the more that that happens the more the, le- the the less of the stigma that will exist with it and the more comfortable we'll be talking about this stuff and, and recognize no the reality doubt. of it no doubt I mean that's what I'm trying what I'm trying to do with anxiety and athletes is really mm-hmm. give provide that platform where whoever wants to talk like like I'm not, I'm not hand. I mean, I handpicked you as a guest because you're my guy, but <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, this week I want this person to be on this pod on our podcast. Like you want to be on the podcast, reach out to me. You want to tell your story about your mental health journey mm-hmm. and how you overcame and how you still struggle and, 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 and be real and authentic. I'm all for it. Like I'm open invite. You want to come tell your story on the podcast, please. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what I want this platform to be is, is, is to have those honest conversations and not, you know, not, you know, not be so scripted. Like I asked you what we want to talk about, but I don't want this to be, you know, okay, we have 17 minutes left. We need to hit on this, this, and this, like, shit, I'll do four more of these if I have to, to cover everything. Um, And so it's just, it's so important to, to provide that platform. And I, and I think what the IOCDF has given, has given, us, uh, you know, myself and, and when I co-founded Anxiety and Athletes with them is, is that platform to, to get people to, to speak about it. And so like recently, like we partnered with, uh, United States weightlifting, um, the team USA. So like, we're going to try to get some of their athletes to talk about the, the mental performance side and the, the performance anxiety that they go through, you know, competing at a national level. And so, um, just trying to get more and more athletes and not only, not only just in team sports, but like in those niche sports that maybe people don't necessarily pay as much attention to mm-hmm. as a, a football or basketball or, um, you know, soccer, or baseball. Yeah. yeah. Well, well on that, man, first of all, thank you for, for your words. Thank you for, for having me as early as you are right now. Um, and, and I do want to say too, like, uh, listen to the intro episode today and, um, I, I'll be honest, what you talked about um, with OCD and, and the challenges that you've experienced and, and the journey that you've gone through, you know, I'm somebody who always thought of OCD as like just super organized and, and, and overly organized or, or picky about the way things are lined up on their desk, right? Um, I did not know or realize that OCD went that far and that deep. Um, so I say that one, just to kind of recognize and call out myself for not even knowing that. Um, but also two for, for, you know, recognizing you, man, for, for being vulnerable and sharing that stuff. And, you know, you sharing that stuff sets the platform for somebody else to feel comfortable sharing that stuff. And, and so the domino effect goes from there. Um, but that was really cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, but like the thing is like, you know, 
we need more of that. Like you, you just held yourself accountable on a, on a podcast. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if we're not holding ourselves accountable and being honest with ourselves, like have I, before I had, o, before I was diagnosed with OCD, man, that's probably what I thought it was. You know what I mean? I mean, like, yeah. you know, that's, it, it's so, it's so crazy because, you know, I didn't know about all these things. And, and so it's, I almost called that what, what you just described as innocent ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's literally like you just weren't, we're not as educated about this stuff because the information wasn't put in front of us as much as a, you know, identifying what cancer might be or what a heart attack might look like. Right. So it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, that innocent ignorance of, of not that you, you didn't want to learn, you just weren't ever taught. And so I I think that's also just a, a fault in our education system and something that we're kind of recovering from now and, and trying to, to make up for and, and try to, and t- try to push forward. But I really appreciate it, man. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, OCD goes. So those obsessions, those intrusive thoughts are all day, every day and, you know, fighting those and then trying to do what, what a normal person does is have a career and, mm-hmm. and do all these things. You know, it's, it's, it's working double time every day and every, every morning I get up. So, um, you know, it's a cross I bear and I'm, 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 you know, now I wouldn't change a thing, but it definitely is goes deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I commend you, man. I respect you for that. Um, and <laughs> I'll preface it by saying that uh, I have not experienced anything nearly that, you know, challenging or, or that serious um, from a mental health standpoint. But um, I know I told you, you know, I have had some challenges um, that I've, I've worked through in the past sure. and, and to some degree still today. So, I'm happy to, to open that. Yeah, please touch on that. I know you, you kind of briefly bit. mentioned it, um, you know, when we were chatting earlier, but, and that's something I didn't even know about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, well, you know, I'll start the, with the only, the only real um, thing that I've had, you know, diagnosed or actually like truly struggled through um, from a mental health standpoint was uh, in seventh grade. Um, I, I was obviously young, you know, what, 13. Yeah. But I believe it was, you know, officially diagnosed as an eating disorder. And uh, at the time, I thought I was going to the NBA. So, like, basketball was my world. Um, <laughs> so, I, uh, had like a, uh, <laughs> right. so I had a lower back injury. Uh, it was like a stress fracture, L4, L5. Yep. And so um, I was going to miss my entire seventh grade season. So it started as, okay, well, I don't want to, you know, gain weight or get out of shape in a, in a very normal, healthy-ish way, right? Right. At the time. So I'm just, you know, I'm not going to eat like ice cream all the time like I did before or little things like that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. fairly normal, healthy, whatever. And that just I don't know if it was slow or fast. It felt like it was slow, but maybe it was fast. Um, That gradually snowballed into, um, oh, well, I had um, water ice at the Sixers game last night. Me and my mom had a a Sixers package that year. So I remember that. Oh, I had water ice at the game last night. So I'm not going to eat breakfast this morning. Oh, well, you know, I. I really don't need lunch either. So I'm going to forget to pack lunch. And then there would go times where I would skip meals, but then I would be so hungry that I would eat like five soft pretzels at a time. We would have soft pretzels from Philly soft pretzel factory. And I would like Mm -hmm. go to the microwave and microwave a pretzel every five minutes. Um, And uh, it it was tough, man. I was down to like 120 pounds at um, basically the same height I am now because I haven't grown grown since about seventh grade. (laughs) I was like five, six, 120. and yeah, man, I started seeing, I think, three different therapists or psychologists. I'm not, mm-hmm. not sure their credential at this point. And I'll be honest, man, I hated all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember one asking me, uh, well, well, Chris, like, what's so bad about eating a cheesesteak? And I'm like, I don't know, but clearly I think there's something wrong with it. Like, everything is wrong with it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Why are you asking me that? You're the therapist. Yeah. You tell me um, why it's wrong. <laughs> and, yeah, man. So I remember... Um, hating that experience with them and um it was so bad man and, and this is what kind of gives me some perspective on what it's like to have a real mental health disease or, or diagnosis is i was so messed up and you know obviously my mom and i argued about it my parents and i argued about it because um, they were trying to help me and i was resistant to it and me and my mom had an argument one day about about something and how bad it was and i thought my mom had it out for me i thought i was fine and my mom just had this ulterior motive and she had it out for me. And I actually, I don't know if anybody knows this aside from a few close friends. 
I punched, we had a, a steel door that led into the garage and I punched it out of anger and I broke my pinky in uh, my right hand, which helped me develop my left hand. Um, <laughs> but I told all my friends I tripped and fell because wow. I obviously didn't want to explain the story. So anyway, like that, it was at that level. And um, it took a conversation with a mentor, actually my AAU coach, who's still like a father figure mentor to me today, Coach Joel, took a conversation with him on the phone and I just started crying, man. I was full of tears. And whatever he said, man, it just hit and I, and I snapped out of it. And from that moment, it was basically over. Um, so, you know, thank him. God, God bless me for him and God bless him. But um, yeah, man, that was that that's been my only true formal experience other than, you know, some work related anxiety and, and things like that over the past few years. Um, sure. But that that has I feel I'm, I'm grateful for that experience because that gave me the perspective to be able to be like, I have no idea what that person is going through or when people say, oh, like it's just anxiety or it's just whatever like get over it like no 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 it's no. a deep biological biochemical whatever it you know like there's some real stuff going on that you just cannot even fathom unless you've been through it so um again nowhere near like the the journey that you've been through right. or many but, other people i mean but um that was you know that was something for me no it's i mean it's, tra it's tra almost traumatized you know, i'm sure it was traumatizing and i you know i um you know i i try to not let people say what, what, um, you know, not nearly as, as bad as yours, because everybody struggles and everybody, sure. you know, everybody had, whatever you were going through was really tough for you. And, and I don't want you to ever, you know, try to compare validity of, of which one was tougher because for us, you know, it's so it's for anybody, it's, it's tough. And, and whatever you're going through at that time is the toughest thing you're, you've ever gone through. So, um, you know, I commend you for, for sharing that and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and you know, gosh, punching the steel fridge. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, still door. It was, it was a rock solid door that led to our garage. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a boxer fracture. Literally was what the doctor oh my called God. it. Um, uh, so, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real experience and it's something that, I'm curious kind of, you know, when you were talking about the eating disorder part, you know, I'm going to try to have, I, I would really like to have um, some athletes with, with eating disorders to come on the podcast and talk about just the, the unrealistic body image uh, standard that the fitness industry and um, you know, that for some reason has been set on female athletes, especially, mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, obviously that's for a whole nother podcast and stuff, but I'm, in, I'm in, interested to, to kind of hear how you have or have not, you know, addressed because obviously with performance, you know, let me preface, like, obviously yeah. you have to, as a, as a strength coach, monitor weight sometime and, you know, the coach wants them in better shape, whatever it is. How do you go about that with your athletes? Yeah, man, that's actually, it, it's been a, an interesting new challenge at Drexel, mm -hmm. um, Relatively speaking to Coppin, um, Coppin, I could count on less than one hand, I think how many, at least that I knew of. Um, and right. I felt like I knew the athletes pretty well, but maybe I didn't. But I could count on less than one hand, you know, how many athletes with basketball dealt with, to my knowledge, a body image type of issue, mm -hmm. weight or otherwise. Um, but here at Drexel, um, you know, I think it's a, a from, from my, to my understanding, um, basketball or otherwise, there are some athletes that, that do struggle with it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and not just women, like men and women, For sure. Um, whether it's all oh, a man, like coach wants me to reach this weight and it's just so hard right. and I can't get there, you know, which is, you know, more common on the men's side or on the women's side, whether it's a body image thing, a, a number thing when they step on the scale. Um, so I, I, within the performance model of, and, and we do check body weights. I don't want to say daily, but every time we lift. So right now, three times a week, um, and I always preface and educate that with, Hey, look, I'm not trying to see if you gained weight or lost weight from a day or two ago. Um, just seeing that you're trending obviously in the right direction. If there's a direction we're trying to go in week to week. Um, and if you are down three, four, five pounds plus from the other day, that probably means you're a little dehydrated. Right. Yeah. Maybe I was going to say that it does well show some water, some water loss and, exactly. and that, those type of things too. And, those and, things that are, are, are important. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. And, right. um, any athlete that you know has come to me and expressed hey i'm not that comfortable or can i do a blind weight or whatever hey absolutely like no questions asked whatever you want if you don't want to do body weights that's fine like we can talk about it more um and i and i have had one athlete 
come to me and say, hey, Chris, you know, I have a little bit of a history in this area. Um, I would prefer to not know my numbers. Hey, that's cool. Um, you know, if you want to talk about it more, um, I had uh, I had a history of, of something like that as well. So I'm happy to talk about it. But if that's what you want to do, that's cool. You know, so I think you right. you, you try to set up the, the quote unquote high performance model and, and whatever that entails. But if there's something that they're not comfortable with, then, you know, hey, that's totally fine. Um, no worries, no questions asked and just move on from there. You know, for sure. Or or but of course, I, I don't want to say no questions asked. Um, as if it's uh, all of a, just a non-issue that we ignore. Right. Hey, if you want to talk about it further, or you know, hey, here are here's our registered dietitian right, as a right. resource, or you know, whatever. We no need, questions asked if they that. don't want. You know, right. if it's not a emergency or like sure. alarming situation. Obviously, you need you know you need to refer people. It's, mm-hmm. You know, and it, but that's also important too. It's that kind of stuff is out of our scope of practice, right? Mm-hmm. You're, we're here. We're supportive uh, coaches and. And we're here for the athletes, but actual, you know, diagnosing and, and that type of stuff, that's when we need to know, okay, here's our resource. Here's their resource. I'm going to refer them to this person. And I'm confident that that person is going to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Man. You're listening to the Smalls Talk podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe. But. You know, it's funny, like uh, I now as we talk more about anxiety and specific, specifically performance related anxiety, mm-hmm. that's something that I, I don't know at the time, especially like coming up through high school and even into college, you know, for me. So that was 2011, 2015. I don't know if it was something that was really talked about yet. And I think back to that and I'm like, man, I could have maybe really benefited from a performance psych or sports psych Mm -hmm. because i I do think maybe not on a clinical level right but i definitely got anxious when it came to practice when it came to scrimmages like i was the most fit dude i could hang with guys and scrimmage around like pickup and just messing around and and go bust dudes at at the pickup at the rec but you put me in in a live practice and i would just get so tense and so tight and make some of the dumbest mistakes and i and i look back at it now and i'm like man i think i to some degree, like I said, probably maybe not clinical, probably not clinical, but I, I do think I, I um, struggled a little bit with performance related anxiety. Um, and, and I'm glad that's something that's obviously more of a platform now, not not where it needs to be yet, as we've already discussed. Um, but I do think that's something that um, I struggled with a little bit. At yeah, time. no, definitely. I mean, one, kudos to you to have for having a college athletic career. I can't say I was a college athlete. So, um, you know, when, when my, I think that's one thing that I was at a disadvantage being a strength coach is that I can't say I know, I knew what they, when I first started, especially, um, that I knew what they were going through because I, I didn't have that experience. I, I'm the first person to be honest about that. Right. There's no, there's no lying about that. I wasn't a college athlete. Um, you know, when, when I became a strength coach, it was because I was a student manager and that, and the head strength coach found me and, and, helped me fall in love with, with the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I, now I have this athletic career with competitive weightlifting, right? Like I'm trying to qualify for AOS and, and, and do all these things with, with weightlifting. And so now, you know, when I, I, I'm having my athletic career later on in life and I can sense that performance anxiety now for sure. Um, you know, I, my last, I threw up before my last, my last <laughs> New York state championships. Yeah. I yacked. I, I, I had never felt that man. I had never felt what it, what it really felt like to, because I, even when I was a youth athlete, like in, when I played football, you know, I played sports until sophomore year until my, my obsessive compulsive disorder took, took everything away from me. Right. And so I played sports up until then, but I never was that good at something. Not that I'm just Olympic level weightlifter, right? Let's not, <laughs> you know, that's not too, not but I was just saying like, I never felt confident in any of the sports that I played that like, I was like, Oh, like I'm nervous enough that, that about, about my performance. But now mm-hmm. with weightlifting, I know I have a chance to do some really cool things with it and, and take it as far as I can take it. And so I definitely felt a, a heightened sense of anxiety now with when, when the stakes are definitely higher. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was new for me. And that was new for me. And I almost, I almost looked at my, I looked at my coach and I was like, what was that? Like, like, yeah. like, 
I've never felt that before. And it's, it's exciting because it means I, I care a lot, but it also is like, Oh, um, you know, I need to work on that. Yeah. Well, you know, what comes to mind, man. Um, the one, the one tactic I've used, um, cause as I mentioned, I have over the years, one place or another, one time or another have, so, have had some work related anxiety that actually, ironically, it started with the Dodgers, which was probably the, I don't want to say easy, but it was probably relatively speaking, the easiest job I've had in terms of work-life balance, hours, demand, uh, you know, f- people in the office having fun, whatever, like that was probably the easiest job I've had. Um, and I mean that in the best way possible, <laughs> but for some reason I've got, I started getting some like anxiety when I would walk into work and like, this is mm-hmm. the least stressful job I've had. Like, why is this happening? But anyway, that's manifested in different times or different ways at different times over the years. Um, and, and I feel at a pretty good place with it right now. But um, the one thing I, I've done and, and I got, I had it a lot at Coppin last year in the director mm-hmm. role between both basketballs, practice, travel games, nutrition meals, and oh, by the way, having three other teams and oh, by the way, trying to build a department right. and, and a staff and be a leader, you know, right. a mentor for, for interns, all that. Right. It, it was a lot. You know, every morning I would write 20 different things on my to do list that I would try to get done that day. And I would just be like, man, how am I going to get all this done? Right. And, and I'm sure you can relate. And a lot of people listening can relate. But what I, one thing I started to do and, and I have a very um, specific morning routine that I've developed over the years. Um, and one of those things is a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And I started at times that I felt anxious or, or constricted, whatever I would put in my gratitude journal anxiety. And I would say that I'm grateful for anxiety mm-hmm. because it means, I don't know what it means. It means I care. It means I have a lot of responsibility. It means mm-hmm. um, I'm in a position of, of leadership and, and opportunity. And so when I would write that in the gratitude journal, um, that would kind of take the power away from it a, a little bit, not completely, right. but it, it, it was something that, like, yeah, like anxiety. I, I have some today. It's cool. I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm grateful for it because it means I'm in a position to do these things. Um, so I, I don't know if that would work for anybody no, else. No, I like that a lot, that, man. I like that um, a lot. That's a really a good bit. tip. It's so funny because I I do journal and I, I definitely respond better to journal prompts. Like exactly. having, uh, if you give me an open journal, Shit, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but but uh, if like the journal prompts of like three things you're grateful for today, mm-hmm. um, uh, what do you want to accomplish today? That kind of stuff. So like, you know, that's those things are like you said, like are are more I'm more apt to do every day. Um, you know, there's this book Atomic Habits, and I reference it like to my I, my athletes are probably so sick of hearing about atomic habits i think uh, um, it's somewhere back there on that show. yeah for sure i mean it's like uh it's a must read uh by yeah. james clear and um but it, one of the the tips is make the habit doable mm-hmm. and i can't emphasize that enough these people make these habits and goals so out of reach that when they fall short they're it's just it's almost impossible to to regain that conference confidence to do it again and, and try again and so um that's what i've kind of done with journaling and, and my morning routine and and things that will will and the things you know that i can control that'll help that anxiety is try to make them doable too mm-hmm. um, i think that that definitely goes a long way i remember you um you were mentioning travel and it, it, i remember reading a sports illustrated article um <laughs> uh, about your time at coppin mm-hmm. I remember I breath, I definitely texted you right after. I was like, dude, what? You had so you had at Compton, you had men's you out you obviously were director of performance there, so you had a lot of teams, but you had men's and women's basketball. And and with men's basketball, you were traveling for like a with I correct me if I'm wrong, it was like a month straight or something. <laughs> it felt like that. I I believe it's funny, it came up in the office today. We were talking about something, but um I believe it was 14 games in 30 days. Oh my! It, it was it was almost basically a game every other day, and I believe all but two of them were on the road. Oh, um, my I, I might be slightly misquoting it a, a little bit either way, but yeah, it was it was it was truly like an NBA schedule, um, which is great, you know. If I ever want to end up in the NBA and, and try that, <laughs> right. I, I feel like I'm prepared for it or, or the G League. But um, yeah, man, it was an NBA level grind with low Division One level you know, budget and, and staff right, and resources. Right. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit, you know, if you can, if you don't mind, tell me a little yeah. bit about 
how that experience was, what the travel was like, what the fueling the athletes, um, keeping them, you know, ready to go at, from a mental standpoint too. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I, I, traveling with teams as a strength coach and, you know, spe- specifically basketball, it's, it's grueling. It gets tiring. You know, the travel definitely gets tiring, especially when you're not flying chartered everywhere. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Someday <laughs> I, hope know I remember my, that, you know, that's one like. of my years as an intern at Siena, we, uh, we bust to St. Bonaventure. So we from Albany to Olean, New York, um, which is like six hours and then bust right from Olean, New York to Robert Morris in Pittsburgh. Um, and then bust back to see to Siena. And I remember being like, wow, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just step back and you're like, whoa i can't believe we just did that yeah i think um man i think the worst stretch well it was the start of our season and and let me preface this just for for context like you know we had a quota um, for sure as i'm sure all programs and and departments do but we had a quota that was that was not easy to hit it was it was hittable but it 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 led us to the type of schedule that we had right um you know to raise money for not just our program but for the department to help the department run right um and unfortunately that's how you know, some of these lower level schools, especially the HBCUs are getting by is by going and, and getting paid to play these guaranteed games. Right. Right. As, as you know. Right. So um, anyway, I preface it with that. You know, it wasn't anybody's fault. No, um, definitely but, not. No, I mean, yeah. Before you get started, like yeah. so for people that don't know college sports, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we have listeners from all over um, lower level division, division one, low major division one schools, even mid major there, they, literally get paid to go play these games at these humongous schools. So like, um, you know, Duke pays these smaller schools to, to come essentially people think right. So the, the game is a win win for the smaller school because, all right, you, maybe you're walking, you're walking in, you're getting paid a hundred K and you get spanked and you're expected to, but, maybe maybe you surprise some people you you get paid 100k and you win and then you're walking yeah. out with a hundred hundred thousand dollars in your in your in your in your for your department so um you know i'm not i'm just throwing a number out there but that's that is how the college athletics business works yeah yeah um yeah you mentioned duke we did duke did pay us one year uh my third year i believe um and we we hung with them the entire game we i remember lost, watching that game we only lost by 10 yeah. Um, and it was a good Duke team. Uh, anyway, that was fun. It would have been amazing to beat them. Um, but yeah, we were able over the course of my four years there, we were able to pop a couple, uh, a couple bigger schools that paid us some money, which for sure, you know, as you said, it's a win-win for the lower major school. It's a, it's, a, it's almost a lose-lose um, <laughs> <laughs> for the high major school, but if they lose, it's, it's, it, you know, it's a really big deal. So anyway, I think um, my last year, I think we, we started with four, four games in five days which is mm-hmm. like an old – the NBA doesn't even do that anymore, no. I believe, because of how grueling it is, especially when you're flying from east to west back and forth. But um, we started with four games in five days. I believe the first two games were in Chicago, um, so that we had a nice, convenient, you know, local back-to-back in Chicago. And then we flew to Yukon. Did we fly or did we drive? We might have drove. I, have, I don't have a great memory with this stuff. But anyway, we flew or drove, I believe, to Yukon. And then we and played. flying for the record is not on a private. Yeah, jet. yeah no it's, commercial yeah. commercial. Yes. Um, no. So it was rider. Okay. So we played rider okay. in New Jersey. So it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, travel Thursday, Friday game. We played rider. Then as the third of the fourth game, Thursday night, like 7 PM slept in the hotel in Jersey and drove to Yukon Friday morning to play Yukon at like, it was 12 PM or 2 PM. So not only are we going to play Yukon, who's, you know, basically a perennial powerhouse. Right. Um, we're playing them on like less, you know, a little more than 12 hours rest. Um, we actually didn't play that terrible against UConn, at least in the first half. But yeah, man, it was, um, it, I want to say it wasn't as bad as it sounds because it, to me, I enjoy travel. So that part is fun. Now it absolutely takes a toll on you, you know, when mm-hmm. you get into December and you've made so many trips and lost so much sleep. Um, but I did enjoy the travel piece. Um, the meals was relationships really, too. yeah, it builds relationships, man. Like I love, I told the, the teams here already, like there comes a time in October, November where I'm tired of just practicing and training every day. Like I want to play mm-hmm. games. I want to get on the road and travel. So yeah, it's fun for us to, to spend time together outside of, you know, the building at, on campus. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was a challenge, but I do want to say, 
Coach Dixon being who he is and, and having the NBA career that he had right. and, and the Maryland career that he had, um, he was able to raise some decent money for us um, yeah. from a fundraising standpoint. So I was able to do a lot. We, I should say we, but I, I truly, I was given a lot of autonomy with how to spend money on meals and how to, you know, how much money I could spend on supplements and things of that That's nature. Great. So, um, you know, low major, low budget for, for sure. But I like to think from a nutrition supplement, all that stuff standpoint, we were able uh, to operate at, at a more mid to high level. Uh, no major. doubt. So I was grateful for that. No, that's great. That's good. What about from like a mental standpoint? You know, did, do you think yeah. that travel takes a toll on some of the guys or um, how do you stay locked in? Yeah. Um, I think the games are the easy part. Uh, right. I want to say relatively speaking. The shoot around. It, I feel like we're probably. The shoot arounds. The lack of a consistent, you know, sleep and wake schedule is challenging. Um, and oh, by the way, these are still full time students. So, right. you know, they're supposed to be obviously studying, preparing for exams, whatever projects they have coming up. Yep. Um, and I can tell you that that's probably not happening at the level yeah. that it should, um, whether it's because they don't have the time or even if they do have the time. It's like, man, between games and shoot arounds and meals and this and that, like, I wouldn't want to go read a book for an hour or two in my hotel room. Like they want to put their feet up and watch TV and enjoy telly life, yeah. you know? So um, yeah, I think that took a toll. And and usually at Coppin at the end of every fall semester, especially dudes would be struggling with their grades and we'd have to, yeah. you know, kind of scramble to, to help keep them eligible and, and um, put them in a position, help them be in a, be, be in a position to pass some classes and, and do what they needed yeah. to do. So they'd be eligible for the spring semester. So that was definitely a challenge. Um, and, and I don't know that we – I can say we, we probably definitely did not talk about the mental health aspect enough with them. And I, I don't even know what that conversation looks like right, um, right. In, in the midst of, of traveling and, and playing basketball games for a college athlete. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think we probably underestimated the toll that, that it took on some of the guys and yeah. girls. No, I mean, it's, it's tough to – especially because you had never done that before. So hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like you're, you're learning from, it's almost trial, trial and error and a trial by fire at that point um, with, with such a long stretch of, of road games. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it was a different challenge specifically in, in my last year, my fourth year mm -hmm. in the, in the director role of the department or, or the, you know, sports performance area, because, um, I'm supposed to be the leader of the department and I'm on the road 14 out of 30 days or 14 right. games in 30 days. So more than that, basically November and December, I was not around very much. Let's just put it that way. And so my, my assistant, um, John, who's the director now who did an amazing job and he's a very good friend of mine. He, you know, kind of became director while I was on the road. Um, but for me, that was an added mental stress of, when I'm on the bus, I'm not just thinking about the warm up or getting ready for the game. I'm also thinking about what does John need? What what do the interns need? Right. Like, is everybody good? Do we have our powder for to make shakes? Do we have everything we need for that? So that's something I'm also at night and every morning I wake up thinking about um, is all these things that I, I can't directly control, but I can try to still influence. Um, so that was definitely an added an added stressor um, for me for me that yeah, final year. No doubt, no doubt. What um you know close it almost almost time to to, to wrap up here mm -hmm. i i don't even i i, I could talk for hours with you man but yeah. what um what's like the best advice you know professionally or not even it doesn't even have to be career advice just life advice in general that that one of your mentors along the way because you've obviously had some really great mentors with, with between tina murray and matt johnson it doesn't even have to be one of them but just yeah. what's something that somebody taught you that you think of today still well <laughs> um we could probably come up with a few things but i'll say what, what what mj would say and then how it relates to me now and how i think i've carried that through a little bit and be and and work and working on carrying it through um mj would say um plan your work work your plan mm -hmm. right it's easy to not easy but it's easy to just do the work but you got to plan your work first and mm -hmm. the better you plan your work the easier it is to work your plan from there, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I got this this laminated goal sheet right here. I got a calendar right here that I'm doing the Seinfeld uh, method, marking excels yep. for every complete day or every day that I do my stuff. I got like five books in a stack here of, of my morning routine that I go through every every morning. So um, I say that because these are things that I'm still working on. I've been working on over the years, and it's it's ever evolving. 
But, um, you know, I have a quote right here from, from Rick Hamill. He's an, um, an NBA uh, commentator. It yep. says, preparation leads to competence, which leads to performance. Um, and and yeah. I say all that to say, like, the more prepared you can be, and I know we don't always have all the time to be as prepared as we want, but um, I feel the least anxious uh-huh. when I'm the 100%. most prepared. I was about you know, to say, the best, co- the, the best sessions I've ever coached were when I, when I was 100% pre- felt prepared. Mm-hmm. I, I coach 100% better. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've realized that over my career, and it's, it's – so now I don't ever let it get to the point where I'm not prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very rarely. You know, obviously life throws situations at you that, that mm-hmm. you can't necessarily, uh, you know, get through really fast and then be prepared. But it, it, it is so I – to, I totally agree. It's It yeah. definitely makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say, man. Like find your, find your routines. Um, for me, that's journaling in the journaling in the morning, doing a, a personal one line journal, a gratitude journal, this daily stoic book, daily entry, and then one or two books that I'm reading. And that's the first hour to hour and a half to two hours of my morning is reserved for that, you know, along with shower, coffee, whatever. Um, and that works for me. That works for some people. Some people might be going for a run, doing some pushups, right? Doing the, the physical exertion, but um, whatever it is, man, whether it's a morning routine, an evening routine, taking a minute during the middle of the day at work when you're stressed to just breathe, right? Like right. find your routines, find the things that work for you and stick to them the best you can. Don't be so married to them that if you miss it, you're going to lose it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Be able to be like you said, flexible, be adaptable. Yep. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's that's something that over the past few years I've really owned in on and, and the more time I put into being prepared and focused with my routines, the, the better I feel I am as a professional and a strength coach at work. No, oh, I love that, man. And really, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and being one of our, our, our few, first few guests. Yeah. Uh, it's been awesome. And I'll definitely have you, have you back for a part two. Thank you, man. I, uh, I can't express enough how, how grateful I am to be, you know, one of the first guests. I don't know if I'm deserving of that, but um, hopefully I did, did some, did myself, you know, some diligence and, and shared some things that can you know, help, help somebody, help some of your listeners to, in some Absolutely. aspect. Yeah, no, uh, good luck, good luck this season, man. I, I'm, yes. I'm looking forward to following along and hopefully catch a game. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Please let me know if you're in town. Okay. Absolutely. All right, man.